Welcome to the Nightbird Radio Podcast. I'm Timothy Saylor, and I'm going to be your host this evening as we sound out the subconscious, navigate the nocturnal, and explore the farthest reaches of our experience. Coming at you from a 1986 Dodge Ram van on the rolling foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains in the Great Forest, deep in the heart of the Kali Yuga. This is Radio for the Hauntological Turn. And welcome back, Nightbirds. It's great to have you back, and it's great to be back. I know it's been a couple of weeks. We had some unforeseen difficulties with scheduling, as well as some Mercury retrograde-related weirdness. But, like I said, it's great to have you back. I've got an awesome episode for you tonight. We had the honor and the privilege to welcome Chris Harden to the show. Chris is many things. A Gnostic bishop, a Thelemite, a musician, and a scholar who holds bachelor's degrees in philosophy and mathematics, a master's in scientific computing, and a Ph.D. in computational science. He's also a wellspring of historical information, and I had a blast talking to him. Our conversation got me thinking of witch hunts. Aren't they, after all, a function of orthodoxy and strict dogma? A feature rather than a bug. Don't these strictures actually create the very heretics and apostates they claim to root out, all in an attempt to consolidate their fragile claims to primacy? So in our conversation, we talk about headlessness, anarchy, apostasy, overcoming fear in the new aeon, and Chris gave me a crash course in OTO and AA history, but also so much more. But before we get into the discussion, I'm going to read some lyrics from a song by Prince and the New Power Generation called Seven. And we lay down on the sand of the sea, and before us animosity will stand and decree that we speak not of love, only blasphemy, and in the distance six others will curse me. But that's all right for I will watch them fall. Think about that as you listen to our conversation. And without further ado, let's get to it. How's it going, Chris? Welcome to the Nightbird Radio Podcast. Woo! Um, it's it's going well. It's been a, a, a weird few days. I live way up here in the mountains, and uh, we had a weird late spring snowstorm and they're always real wet heavy snows and so trees fall and and we had a problem way down the road we were like 24 hours almost with no power and water and so i mean i heat my house with wood i'm like kung fu and shit up here it's like care water chop wood check That's um, be. you know so i wasn't cold or anything but it's like fuck man it's it you know when you're when you're out of power it's like all the cool stuff you do, you realize, I mean, I could deal without internet, but it's like, you know, I want to like plug in my fucking instruments and be loud yeah. and stuff. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And of course this did this mercury retrograde has been crazy. 
Uh, and it's it's funny too because I was just talking shit about how you know like I'm a <laughs> physicist. So I'm like you know planets don't actually move backwards. You know this whole retro. <laughs> I was like I swear right when it started I had this this like young student who was like being all nervous about it. I was like you know it's it's a it's a symbol. You know like planets don't go backwards. And then it's dude it's like been wrecked for me this whole this whole one one was like oh really hold my beer funny story. <laughs> yeah, I was talking to my buddy about it, and what he said about it was. It's been like what other people always try to make it like, oh, Mercury retrograde, like this one has been like how people try to make it out to be. You know? Yeah, well, and I well, and I'm a I'm a I'm a scientist, a mathematician, but I'm also an occultist and I use astrology a lot. But um, it's just, it's like to me, it's like algebra or something. You know, we made it all up, but it's useful. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's a useful model. Man, uh, yeah. So you know what's funny? Right before um, we got on here, you know, you said you hadn't had power or water in a day or so. Right. Our our water went out. Oh no way! <laughs> There's always something messing around, man. Well, cool. So uh, let's just go ahead right into the interview, man. I wanted to ask you some questions. Uh, for one thing, again, it's great to have you on. Um, just from our conversation that we had on the phone. I knew this was going to be like a really interesting conversation. And I've really been looking forward to it. And so right I'm on. glad to be here at long last. So let me, me ask too. you first. Yeah. Have you always felt that there was uh, more to life than meets the eye? I have. Uh, well, I, you know, it was, it's based on the experience, you know, I'm, I'm a Gnostic and, and more so. And there's just a sense of, you know, I don't think, the mysteries, the unspeakable, unspeakable parts of life have any meaning for you unless you can find a way to have a direct experience of it. Um, and so, it, you know, I, I, my knowing is through my own experiences, which is, it's hard to, you know, you, you can at least get a cool story over on somebody else, but, you know, until they have their own experience, it's, it's just bullshit in a way. Right. Or it's just something Chris said anyhow, but, you know, when I was, um, when I was very young, I grew up in Florida. Um, I mean, I was probably eight or nine. Me and my cousin got sucked in this undertow way out into the ocean. And we were like sinking to the bottom and like pushing up and like catching breaths and sinking. So we didn't tread water the whole time. And it was scary. And um, all of a sudden, this what, what we both thought was a guy came and grabbed both of us like under each arm and walked to the shore where it was like a foot of water dropped us, you know, and we turned around and be like, Oh my God, thank you so much. And there was nothing there. And so, you know, experiences such as that, like throughout my life, it always, I, as for as long as I can remember since being a little kid, you know, I just felt like the adults were either really dumb or just lying about everything. Like they weren't like, they weren't telling. And, and mostly they're dumb. I found out, but uh, <laughs> But so, you know, but I've been like, what the fuck is going on here? Like the whole time. Yeah. That sense of astonishment, I think, is really important, right? Like just because, like you said, I've often walked around and had this moment where I'm looking around and I'm like, does anyone else realize how fucking crazy this is? Uh, yeah. This, this whole thing. And I think that's a very Gnostic concept too, like the idea of like the machinations beyond, you know, however you want to use it if it's just a symbol or not but 
Well, the mist I mean, the mysteries draw you in that way. And I mean, and, and they open up, you know, to true to that kind of true wonderment, you know, that aspiration, that astonishment with the just what the fuck of it all, you know, like how how is this something rather than nothing? But it's not just something, right? It's this really fucking fun, gooey something, you know. It's like we get to ride roller coasters and shit, and we didn't do anything to deserve this. <laughs> you know, that's grace, man. <laughs> right, yeah, absolutely. And the ancestors looking out. Yeah, all of it. So for you, it was really more of a, it was more of a, a knowing that then was backed up by experience. Yeah, and it was a really a, like, I you know I was drawn in because I want to I, I want to figure this out, and I knew I always knew I couldn't trust the adults to tell me <laughs> somehow you know as long as I could remember. And so is that also what led you to pursue your degrees? Yeah, absolutely. Um, also, when I, I found the OTO when I was 19, um, and, I, and I'd been involved in Freemasonry, and so I know we might talk about that in a bit, but, um, you know, all these guys were like the professors at my community college. <laughs> and so that had a big cool. impact, too, because it was like, okay, well, that's because, you know, I was coming from this like anarchist, hardcore revolutionary background. And it's funny because now the conservatives say that the, the university is like, will turn you into a leftist. I was like this leftist. It was like, oh, this university is going to turn me into some kind of like brain dead conservative. I'm going to like start voting for presidents and think it matters. You know, like that. I was like, really like as a kid, I was like, oh, I don't know about this school thing, you know, but it, but it was those guys and seeing them, even though they 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 were like pretty in terms of politics, they were pretty bland you know, older white guys or whatever, whatever, however they voted. It's all, it was kind of all the same to me, but, um, uh, it, but seeing that it was like, okay, well, this is one way. Like I felt like I could scam the scam, right? If it was a scam, I could get in there and be aware of it and scam it back and get something out of it. Yeah, absolutely, man. There's something that my brother told me, and I don't even know if he remembers telling me this. It was one of those moments where like, was this guy channeling something? Because, I, it was some project I had to do in school, right? And I hated school. It was like, I just think it's designed to break people. Right. And it had me feeling pretty broken. I just, I couldn't function in it. And then it was just, it was really causing me a lot of, a lot of needless trauma, I guess is a way to put it. Um, and so one oh, yeah. day I, I, I came home and I was like crying and crying. And that mm -hmm. night I was still crying and frustrated. And me and my brother shared a room. And uh, in the silence, he said to me, uh, take everything that they teach you and use it against them. Yeah, exactly. Right? That's the only way to beat a scam is to scam it right back. Yeah, exactly. I love that. Um, um, so, yeah. So, you, you mentioned um, being drawn to the lodge at an early age. That is an yeah. early age for that, right? I mean. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I think so. Um I was, well, I, I was, I was a Hare Krishna devotee at 16. I was like a little punk cool. rock kid. Now I dropped out. So of you've high always been a searcher. I dropped out of high school in the 10th grade to tour with my punk rock band. And, uh, and, you know, and I went back to school and got for 14 years and got all these fucking degrees because I wanted to prove something to myself ultimately really there. But, um, um, I just never wanted to be full of shit, you know, like, like I didn't want to grow up and be the adult who was like lying to the children and full of shit. <laughs> you yeah. Know? I was like, pick a fucking side, man. <laughs> um, 
And so, you know, I was this Harry Krishna. So I was, I was this punk rock kid and I got wrapped up with this, with the anarchist black cross and some of these political groups. And, uh, there was, there was this one kid who was a Harry Krishna devotee. We were having this like political discussion group meeting night. And we started talking about the meaning of life. And this kid was like, I know the meaning of life. I can't tell you it'll drive you all crazy. You can't handle it. And that just pissed me off. I was like, you're full of shit. You would say it if you knew it. You know, and we kind of got in a fight. And then at the end, he like followed me to my car and gave me this book by AC Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada called The Path to Perfection. And I and I it was probably maybe the first like real spiritual book I read. And I'd always been fascinated with religion. I didn't grow up. My parents weren't religious, you know, I didn't go to church and stuff, but like I had family who did. So I was always, I would go with them and be like, this is weird. Um, but, you know, I was like a punk rock kid at the beach and the Christians are out there like, oh, you have a mohawk, you're going to hell. You know, so I already knew that they were pretty much full of shit. Um, and, and of course, there's deep, profound Christian mysteries. But, you know, those guys on the street telling you you're going to hell, they usually don't know any of this stuff. Right. Uh, anyway, but um you know, so I've reconciled those mysteries, you know, aside from the idiots out there, you know, just trying to control you and stuff. Um, but, you know, I, I so I read this book and it was like it was like re, it was like remembering things about the truth of myself, so, so to speak. And uh, it led me down this path of bhakti yoga and I had certain spiritual experiences. And so the turn to like the occult world was there was a couple things going on there. For one, I had had this experience through this very, you know, I didn't grow up around that kind of stuff. So it was a very foreign, I think I needed that because I could take it more seriously because the stuff I grew up around, I was like, oh, these guys are idiots. Um, you know, and even though there's profound mysteries to explore there, uh, I knew those weren't the people to show me. And so anyway, I had, and again, it's back to this experience, you know, so so I had these profound spiritual experiences. I had experiences of parts of myself outside of our normal selves, outside of our body, outside of the norm, our normal um, you know, waking states and so forth. And so I went back to sort of the Western traditions with those experiences trying to reconcile it. And it was the mystery traditions, the mystical traditions like Kabbalah, um, the Hermetic traditions, Rosicrucians. And through all that, the Masonic stuff just kept popping up, and my family were all Masonic, Ma Freemasons and stuff, but of course, I, I thought, you know, these guys are idiots, so they're not going to be able to teach me what Freemasonry is. Um, and uh, so one day, we had this anarchist house, the whole front of the house was this Hare Krishna temple, and... Um, our house got raided by 22 cops and like black fatigues and mass and all this in Jacksonville, Florida in 1995. And uh, our house gets raided. Um, and we had been training like guerrilla tactics with these, like um, we had put, we'd carve out stencils and cardboard and like hit and run these like slogans all over the place, you know, and like we do it in the middle of the night and we were running like, you know, little kids, like, you know, reading the gorilla books and like, okay, let's try this. We'll go out where you, you know, anyway, they found all that stuff and they tried to build this case. They added up like all the graffiti and all of downtown and tried to charge it with us. And so they came to our jobs and arrested us like a week later. So we all lost our jobs, which landed me loading trucks. My mom worked at this coal storage facility. So I was like loading trucks. Like they pay you by weight, like how much weight you move that day. And shit it was like fucking slave shit. And, um, and so of course, you know, I'm in the South, working a shit job i'm out there i'm like the only white dude out there right <laughs> and uh i'm working with all these older like black guys and they're all like wearing their masonic belt buckles and one day at lunch they're all discussing it and i've been reading this uh god what was that book um 
Freemasonry, Ancient Egypt, and Islamic Destiny is the book. And it's uh, written by like one of these Nation of Islam conspiracy guys, you know, so it had a lot of the juicy like stuff in there. But like a lot of pro stuff that wasn't like, oh, they're Satanists, like the white, like militia, conservative, um, alt-right, I guess you call it now type folks um that turn it on like there are satan worshipers and i'm you know and for those guys it's like man have you met these people it's like they fucking play bingo like that's lively for them like relax um it's not that cool uh you know i like i dude i stole the fire i'm here to tell you it's not that cool i mean if they were worshiping satan i'd probably still be involved um <laughs> but uh, um um, so I, you know, I met these all these old black guys, and you know, I'm like this. I was always a smart ass, like you know, know it all little kid, you know. And I'd read one book, so I knew everything. Actually, I had like morals and dogma, and I'd flip through more books, but I really had read this one. And so I went over and I started like breaking down philosophical notions of the compass and the square, da 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 da, and they were all giggling and laughing at me at the end of the day though this older guy pulls me aside he's a past master of the oldest prince hall freemason all black mason lodge in downtown jacksonville and he's like yo he's like you should come do this he's like i'll go i'll stand with you da, 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 da. his name was john and there's a mystery a free a masonic mystery of the god john and so it really plays into all this in a, a cool kind of way in terms of my story and this all comes out in the book too because i go you know i go through the whole thing and so you know, so I went and I became the first, like, you know, like 19 years old, I became a uh, a master mason in the oldest Prince Hall Lodge. And, uh, you know, they didn't, they they put it to me real hard. And I, I wanted it that way. It was better for me. Um, I'm not sure if that's better for everybody, but, um, you know, like they beat me up and stuff. I mean, they hazed the fuck out of me. I was coming home, like bruised up. My wife was like trying to go fight him and shit. Um, um, it was serious. You know, they made sure I wanted it and I did. And, and, and I got exactly what I was after, but you know, these are like suit and tie dudes who are like trying to get me to join their church. It got boring. Right. So right around that time, the OTO sort of emerged and, you know, I, I, uh, I was looking at the, the this book called the Equinox 310, and it goes over the structure, and it's got this Masonic structure, but it's incorporated like the chakra points, and and so it's like there's yoga, magic, it's like everything I'd been into up to that point, sort of was all in one place there, you know, and it's a quasi Masonic thing. The first seven degrees of OTO are called the uh, Masonic Academy. It's a consolidation of like all the Masonic rites that ever were into like just seven. Um, so like there's uh, but uh, like the seventh degree is like Prince of the Sublime Secret, just like 32nd degree Scottish Rite Mason. So like the titles and stuff are are, are very common. Um, but I was like, oh, chakras and magic and shit. Because I just started working um, Modern Magic, this Donna Michael Craig book. And I just started doing these pentagram rituals because I realized for a Western experience, you have to kind of become your own priest if you want to like and be able to instantiate those sort of uh, experiences throughout that tradition. And so that's what brought me to the Kabbalah and ceremonial magic type stuff. And it's like, as soon as I started doing ceremonial magic, because I was like big in the punk scene, I was like the leader of this big punk band in my hometown. So I knew all the weirdos pretty well. Um, and so this kid, this industrial, super, super weird kid, even for me, you know, like I ran into him at the store and he, and he starts talking to me about the OTO and I just read about it. Now, a year before I bought the book of the law, which is the sort of holy book of Thelema that Crowley um, um, channeled in Cairo um, in 1904. I had bought that thing. I read it and I thought, this is the dumbest shit I've ever fucking read in my entire life. I threw it on my shelf. 
and didn't think much more about it. And and back then it was like this little red book. It didn't say Crowley. Crowley so like I still hadn't put it all of it together. That was like Crowley, Book of the Law, Thelema, okay, and OTO is an extension of that, yada yada. So I was just looking at the OTOs, this Masonic system that incorporated magic and yoga and tantra and shit. And so I was like, man, this is way cooler than these guys who keep trying to take me to church, which, if, um, you know, I was over that pretty quick. I mean, I worked real hard for the initiation, so I feel like it really worked on me. But then it's funny, my whole family are Masons. None of them will talk to me about Masonry because I'm this clandestine black Mason. It's even perfect. So right. better. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's what's up. Yeah. So it's like, so it's, it was like a hard, like I had to really want this shit, you know? Um, and, and and I did and I pushed through and it was great. But I met, I met the, I went to this guy, this weirdo industrial kid took me to the OTO. And it was like, man, I was like, these are like, Sickly old white people, they're doing drugs, eating meat. Like, you know, I was like a little Hare Krishna kid. I was like straight edge. I've been vegetarian for years at this point. Um, I was like, they're not serious. I was like, I was like, I got, I, got, I talked them into like sponsoring me and setting up a, an entry level initiation. There's zero degrees called Minerva in OTO. And so, like that night at my very first meeting with these guys, I, I got sponsors, got an application filled out and had them schedule around. And I ended up being the last like initiate to come through that lodge before that all fell apart. Um, this is Raharakne Lodge in 1996 now in Jacksonville, Florida. And so it was a huge year. I got married, became a master mason, joined the OTOs, went back to school, and then had a kid. Yeah, blast off. <laughs> all right. Good time. So. Um, so you mentioned you're currently writing a book about your experience uh, with the OTO. Do you want to go into a little bit about, talk about the events of your book a little bit? Is there, what can you share with me on that? Well, I mean, I, you know, basically everything I've been saying is, is, is part of the story of the whole book because um, what is the OTO, you know, is, is probably, you know, some basic thing needs to be said there. Um, you know, it's a, it's the OTO was founded in the late 19th century by a rich paper chemist named Carl Kellner, who was traveling in the East. He was a high-grade Freemason in Austria. <laughs> he was traveling in the East, and he ran across three teachers. One was a Tantra guy, and two of them were Sufis. And they taught him this technique of sexual magic, sexual thaumaturgy, like how to create miracles with sex, essentially. And to him, that that sort of tied together like all of the high level secrets of Freemasonry and sort of Western esotericism, Hermeticism, the Rosicrucian thing, all of it, um, in such a way that he went back to Austria and he took and he was a, he held he held charters for you know Mizraim, Memphis, York, Scott, you know all of the Swedenborg, all of these exotic Masonic rites, and so he took all this information and consolidated into um the mmm the first seven degrees of oto which are like a consolidation of all of those mysteries and then the and then part of the seventh and then the eighth and the ninth is the oto proper where you get taught this technique of sexual thaumaturgy and so the structure of the oto has it has all the trappings of these old school masonic monarchies essentially it's all based on these notions of of plato's philosopher king this idea of having this enlightened dictator essentially 
Um, and, and, you know, and in the modern era, especially as an anarchist kid, you know, for the first 16 years, I was for the first 15, 15 years, I was in the OTO, you know, I was in these small bodies that were very local. It was like me and 10 of my homies, like doing all these initiation ceremonies and masses and shit and having the fucking time of our lives. Like nobody ever thought about this guy that we called our king who lived in you know we'd never met him it wasn't it was just like some shit on paper and and it, you know it's like we just thought okay this is a game like you're like a really cell thinks, nobody thinks yeah it's like we never thought like i never imagined anybody took these titles seriously it's like you know it's like it's like if everyone were playing monopoly and then all of a sudden everyone's stabbing each other over the fucking orange piece of paper with a 10 on it it's like dude it's a game and that it, you know, and it could have been good if 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 there was leadership in place to sort of maintain that idea. But you know, it's, it, it, all this stuff becomes a cult of personality, especially you know. So with the OTO, the first half of the system is pretty much open to anyone. Nobody can stop you from moving through it. But about halfway through, everything becomes invitational. And so at a certain point, it's like you have to fucking suck all this fucking dick for no reason to you know. So you have to make these people you know. And it's like I've been yeah, busting my political. ass like. Dude, I'm the like when I talk about being weird, I mean weird like W Y R D like Odin weird. Like I've been working on this shit my whole life. I've got a PhD. I've been fucking traveling in bands. Like I do cool shit. That's my fucking thing. And, and I'm supposed to meet some sickly old white person that can barely fucking walk and like act like they're cool because the only thing they ever did was make it to the fucking fifth degree in the OTOs. Like I just couldn't. I wasn't the guy. I'm like, I'm doing the thing and that's for real. And if that's not enough, then fuck you guys. You know, and there are plenty of cool people. Don't get me wrong. There are like, there are cool people that may, and that's what, that's the kind of thing that keeps you going. You know, it's like, you know, my, my ex-wife took her Minerval initiation nine months pregnant with my son. My son took his Minerva initiation, his first degree, you know? So it's like, my family's been all in this the whole time too. And and so, you know, with the OTO, there's this, it's a monarchy, but it's sort of like a socialist vision. Like, you know, we're going to have this brotherhood and take care of each other and, you know, all that Masonic stuff. But then there's supposed to be like prophet houses and monasteries. And, but, you know, the OTO, but uh, uh, the OTO's never owned a piece of property. You know what I mean? It's a bunch of people who can't figure out how to fucking drive a car without a crack in the windshield, really. Um, and so, uh, uh it's a weird thing and so it, 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 until you reach like that halfway point and all of a sudden you're like oh now i have to like be in with the and it's just like the punk rock scene or any scene right what makes it toxic is that the moment you want to sit at the cool kids table right you got to care about all this shit that ain't none of your fucking business in the first place yeah there's something very uh it takes away from the anarchist quality of it, the heretical part of it, right? When it becomes so organized, mm. there's something that uh, Jack Parsons wrote in um, We Are the Witchcraft, where he says, where there's too mm -hmm. much organization, we depart. It makes me think and, of that. And that's a great point. So, you know, Jack Parsons, Jack Parsons joined the OTO in 1941. Um, he took uh, Minerva in first degree with Grady McMurtry, who would be the person who revived the OTO in the 70s. And that's actually the AA lineage that I'm under, Grady. Um, in 1942, Jack Parsons, Jack Parsons was the very first person to ever undergo the actual acted out ceremony of Crowley's rewrite of the second degree OTO. And until the late 70s, that was the highest degree ceremony that was ever actually like performed. You know, so it's like, you know, Crow, like, 
you know, there's a huge misconception about this history. You know, it's like Crowley and all, Parsons, all these, none of these, like I have had more OTO initiations than all these guys put together. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just being in the modern era because they just weren't done that way. You know, they'd read you to oaths and put you to the fifth degree, but, the, you know, the rights weren't being actually performed. Um, and so by 1946, um, and, and this is all documented well in a book called The Unknown God, which is out of print and expensive, but holler at your boy, I got a fucking rare PDF. Um, nice. <laughs> yeah, fuck you, Martin Starr. No, just kid. We love you, Martin Starr. Thanks for outing Gunther. But, um, sorry. Um, You're good. Do but but in, the un, in, in The Unknown God, um, you know, we get this story of, you know, Ger, uh, Wilfred Smith was the guy running this LA group, and it was some, really the most active, successful um oto body probably ever in the world to date right and you know crowley and Ger crowley and germ are the two guys that are kind of in charge of everything you know they're over in europe they've never even met any of these people but they're they're getting all these personality conflicts everyone's arguing i don't know what's going on and they end up basically ostracizing wilford smith who was the 10th degree um he was also jack parsons aa mentor and Jack Parsons' very good friend, even though his initial wife, Helen Parsons Smith, had already transferred. They all remained friends, even after Wilfred and Helen had a baby and shit. Jack was still over there, like hanging out, helping take care of the baby. It was like a, it was like early polyamory 101 type shit. Um, but in 1946, because they pushed Smith out, Jack Parsons was forced to take over the Agape Lodge in L.A., Agape Lodge number two. And um, he ran it for a little less than a year. And on August 20th, 1946, Jack Parsons resigned from the OTO, stating that, you know, just like you pointed out in what he said in the witchcraft, you know, he was stating that this is no place for the flourishment of Thelema. Thelema is the greater movement. Thelema is the Greek word means will. And the whole idea there is being discovering your true will and doing that in the world. I mean, the whole point of Thelema is to do your will and rejoice, you know. The book of the law doesn't say shit about sex magic and OTO and these Masonic orders. You know, it's like these are these old Eon sort of relics that we have decorated in a Thelemic way. But um, the real problem is, you know, it's this Renaissance notion of the philosopher king, but they didn't have like postmodernism. You know, they didn't have Foucault and Bourdieu and they didn't understand power and, and what power does. You know, it's like you put a fucking a crown on a philosopher and the only thing that they can philosophize about from that point on, right. That's the status quo. You know, how do I keep this fucking crown? You know, so you kill, that's how you kill a philosopher by putting a crown on them. You know, the, the, the whole idea of a philosopher King is a fraud. It always makes me think of uh, Gandalf when he yeah. refuses the ring. Yeah. He right. Says, you know, I would do that. I would take the ring out of a will to do good, but through me, it would wield a power greater than you could imagine. It, for exactly. And that's the thing with OTO, when you get to these upper echelons, it's designed in such a way that the only way it works well is when the absolute best of us land in these places, right? But the absolute best of us are smart enough to know that that's bullshit. Like, we don't, like, who the fuck wants to be that guy? It reminds me of another top-down organization I can think of. So, <laughs> actually, a bunch. Yeah. I mean, all all governments. Well, it's all this pyramid scheme, right? And, I mean, if you go back and you really... Look at the, the history of all this stuff. There's a there's a video on YouTube called uh, "The History of Our Enslavement," and it's like a little twelve minute thing. It really summarizes my point here. But it's it's this idea that you know human ownership has been the root motivation for all 
government, all politics, everything. And when you get to, you know, this current like democratic model, it's this huge scam because, um, you know, it's like they turned us into free range serfs. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah, so we don't see the, we don't see the cage anymore because we're like, oh, I got a TV and I can PS. There's the illusion of choice, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. But it, but you can choose where you want to cut hair, but you still got to pay the government to do it. You got to ask their permission. <laughs> so it's like you have to license to cut hair, man. It's fucking weird. Yeah, it's really weird. <laughs> so, talking about your um, your separation from the temple. Do you want to go into that a little bit, or? Yeah, um, there's a, a bit of nuance. So in the in the world of Thelema, in the early days, Crowley created. Crowley was in this uh, group called the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, and when it and partway through that, it becomes invitational, just like the OTO. It's funny. I always say that the OTO is is our Golden Dawn of today, and so Crowley was being blocked from progression, you know, and so he went to France and got with the original founder who progressed him, and it blew up and this big drama thing. So he created another grade system called the AA, the Astrum Argentum, the Order of the Silver Star where it's like the golden dawn, but he took all that social shit out. So you have a curriculum and a mentor and a student chain. So basically, you know, mentors are just grading your papers and be like, okay, check, check, check. They did the things next. Right. Um, and so you took all that social dimension out. So nobody can like hold you back. It's like you either do the stuff or you don't. Um, and it was, it was years later that the OTO sort of showed up Um and that's a whole story. I'll save that tangents for, you know, but I'm, I'm like a history buff, so I could go all day with this thing. Hey, I can but, listen to um, it all day, so that's cool. Uh, right on, man. Um, basically, you know, in 1912, well, in 1907, Crowley took um, Mathers. Mathers was the guy that brought him the Golden Dawn. So when he Crowley created the AA, they put out a, a the publication of the, the, of the AA was this um, sequence of books called the Equinox. And he published all the Golden Dawn rituals. And so the Mathers, the original guy that brought him up, was suing him and it was a big court case and throughout that court case this guy named theodore rouse this german head of the oto actually the outer head of the oto showed up and made crowley a seventh degree honorary because he had all these honorary back then if you were a 30 if you were a 33rd degree scottish right mason you could come in the OTO as seventh degree and so crowley had those honorary rights even though he probably never stepped in the actual masonic lodge a day in his life when he was in mexico he got like all the masonic honors and you'll see there's pictures of him all dressed up but it's like it's like paper it's you know it's all honorary it's like an honorary phd it's like oh right. cool i didn't do any research or read a book or nothing um <laughs> <laughs> cool story, bro. But uh, anyhow, so then in, in, in 1912, you know, he's already an honorary seventh degree. He didn't take much of that seriously. In 1912, he publishes this book called The Book of Lies. And uh, a little while later, uh, Theodore Royce shows up in his office in England and says, you just published the central secret of the OTO, the ninth degree secret. And, this, and Crowley's like, what the fuck are you talking about? He presents him with The Book of Lies. And he turns him to supposedly the myth is chapter um chapter 36 which is the star sapphire it's his thelemic uh hexagram ritual he says encapsulates the secret of the ninth degree of oto and right then supposedly crowley realizes like the true secrets of sexual magic and etc cetera, etc cetera. and so that's when he sort of starts using oto and then in, in the 20s he, uh theodore royce would die and that's when crowley would sort of take it all over and so when Crowley dies in 1947, he leaves all of his literary legacy essentially to be managed by OTO. And so that's why they're still relevant today is because they control his books and copyrights and shit. 
other than that, it's just a social fucking group of LARPing motherfuckers that don't do anything but try to fucking, you know, sell social status in a tiny group no one's ever heard of. Um, and so over the years, the AA became like a splinter cell organization because um, so after Crowley dies in 47, this guy Germer takes over and, and, and Germer's appointed by Crowley to be in charge of everything. AA. And so uh, and so. From Crowley to Germer, there's one person who's the head of both OTO and the AA. Germer dies in 62, but Germer kind of ran everyone off. He was like a real insecure fucking asshole. Um, and so he shut down everything. So basically, like everything's like everyone thought it was over. Basically, in 62, he dies. Nobody even heard about it until 1968. This radical fucking group of Thelemites called Solar Lodge, who this guy Ray Burlingham had initiated up through the ninth degree, like secretly in like 1965, because he thought it was all over. Um, they ended up going and brought so Germer's wife had like the Crowley fucking legacy, like his all of his robes, his manuscripts, all the unpublished books, the original manuscripts for Liberal, the book of the law, like all that stuff. And these fucking radical, like acid taking, like Thelemites were like, this senile old lady has all of our relics, you know, and they went and fucking robbed the shit out of her and like blinded her and like, not awesome. But I mean, I get it too. Some, I mean, when you read their version of the stories, um, and, and in fact, Freder Shiva put it up on Lulu on the cheap. Um, the, all the old editions of the story are kind of expensive, but you can get on Lulu for like 20 bucks. It's called Behind the Curtain of Solar Lodge. Really fucking amazing, cool Thelemic adventure story. But anyway, they robbed uh, Sasha Germer in 68. And this is basically what causes uh, Phyllis to contact Grady. And this is what ends up the OTO gets revamped, basically, because that got everyone's attention. Um and but when Grady revamped the OTO, uh, he never claimed to be the head of the AA. Now Grady had was had already sworn the oath of this was a master of the temple and a certain grade of the AA. So he had some authority there. He just was like, oh, he felt courty issuing it. He had all these letters, but he had all these letters from Crowley because he was in the war. So he spent a couple of years with Crowley at the end of his life. And he had all these Crowley made him the, the caliph. And so he had these caliphate papers, as they're called now, that gave him the authority to sort of take the reins in an emergency situation and revamp the OTO. And in fact, his word as a magazine AA was OTO. And so that was like Grady's thing. And then Marcella Mota was this other guy who had popped up and Mar Mota claimed to be the head of the AA, which could have possibly that's feasible at that time and grady was like well fuck if you're the imperator who would say they're imperator of the aa if they weren't i'm not going to argue and they ended up fighting about oto rights that all got settled in 85 but what i'm getting at is the aa sort of grew up independently over from like 62 on there was no real head there was nobody wrangling everybody else in so you have the splinter cell situation where like it's like a teacher dies right and then that student takes over and so you over the so over 100 years or so, you know, you have all of these groups all over the place that come from these different roots. They have different emphasis. There's different cultures, like sort of built up around a curriculum, which is fucking cool. And that's that it's like that, that diversity, that unshakable, unstoppable diversity is, is the lifeblood of the Lima, in my opinion. And, and I think that's, that's the stuff that it, because nobody owns it, it can't be killed. You know what I mean? It's not a mundane on paper organization that way. And so it's once you move in that direction, 
it, it's like a living thing, you know, it opens up to you and you, you see this for yourself, you know, it's back to that Gnostic thing. And, and, um, and so anyhow, the current, the guy in 1985, Grady dies and he makes this guy named Bill Breeze, uh, the head of the OTM. And he chose him because see Phyllis, his ex-wife runs a Jane Wolf lineage of the AA and he sort of created his own and their AA students were sort of tearing OTO apart, trying to like control it. And it's always been this weird, stupid power head fuck thing. When you get into the history, even it, even Crowley, especially, I mean, it fucked up Crowley's head more than anyone. You know, he was doing all kinds of dumb shit, trying to control 10 people in LA. He'd never even met before. It's fucking stupid. All under the guise of I'm the leader. Get it. I mean, get a grip. Um, and that never stopped, you know, but as a young myself, as a young person, I never saw that side of it for a long time. And all, a lot of these history books now are out of date and expensive and hard to find. And so it took a long time for me to, well, one, there's a ton of Crowley shit to read anyway. So I was like, I had to get to a point where I felt confident enough and like, okay, I have a grasp of this stuff before I'm like, now I'm going to read all the history books about it. You know, it's like, oh, that's like retired white people shit, right? <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, but once you go through it, you realize, fuck, man, all these, you have, you know, you realize, you know, as a kid, you have all these fantasies about the glory days and shit, you know, but it's like, man, they were just fucked up as we were, <laughs> if not more. I mean, and so over the years, so since 1985, right, the last 40 years, this guy has been running the OTO and he, Around 1989, propped up his AA teacher as the one true leader of the AA. And if you want to be officially in Thelema, you now have to come to these two people now own all of the Thelema. And, that, you know, you got to come lick our balls or else you're not real Thelema. And so this this has been ongoing 40 years. Well, in 2018, they put out a book called... Uh, uh, one truth, one spirit. This guy Keith Reddy, who'd gone and got a master's degree in Amsterdam and Western esotericism, was like, "Ooh, I'll suck your dick a lot." Watch, and he wrote this whole book that basically just repeat, just sort of codified in a lot of detail. There, it's a, it's like a fucking six hundred page book, and just codified their narrative as the owners of the Lima. And so, you know, of course, right away, everyone's like, "Oh, it's, it's the, the the head of that that AA is named Daniel Gunther." And so Bill Breeze and Dan Gunther are like sort of the two, like one owns the OTO and the other's like the only real AA and that's the only one the OTO promotes. So like in the back of every, you know, they own Crowley's legacy. So any Crowley book that's published, you know, the AA contact is like only theirs and so forth and so on. So it's like this and, and they've been kicked and like all the other heads of AA that have been in OTO over the years, Jerry Cornelius, Jim Eshelman, um, Ray Eels, um, Joseph Ravelli, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, they've all been kicked out for repping their AA line and so forth. So it's, it's been a nasty thing. Um, and so anyway, uh, every, you know, everyone was like, oh, more Gunther trash, you know, sort of standard one page reviews. And their whole criticism the whole time was like, nobody's addressing what we actually wrote. And I was like, hold on, it's, you wrote a lot. I spent, when that book came out, I spent maybe five hours a day, maybe three or four days a week for about a month and a half. And I just combed through this motherfucker line by line. And I just noted everywhere they changed things a little bit. Most commonly, they would leave stuff out that didn't like support their their line, their arguments. Um, and then sometimes just made shit up altogether. And so I had just spent like the past the prior three years before this like collecting and reading like all the history books about this stuff as possible and so it was just like weird karmically and this like i was like i'm the only one who could do this right you know 
that sort of sense of duty. And, um, and so, you know, I spent a lot of time, I wrote this like 30 page essay, like just calling all their shit out. And also um, they failed to look at the, uh, the logical limits of their own arguments. So if we were to take even their arguments against all of the other lineages seriously and apply it also to them, it just makes the whole thing fucking stupid. Um, and that's, you know, so it's like the worst part of all is they're just making us all look like meaningless fucking idiots, you know? So, so I felt a you know, a deep spiritual duty to speak up and I'd been where I'd been doing, I've been having a lot of art commissioned. Um, the guy who taught me music actually back home has been doing all this art for me. And so I had him draw up. I had this idea of like, you know, uh, like the young start, the young uh, Darth Vader, like slaying all the Padawans, you know? So I was like, Ooh, I'll, I'll make Gunther, you know, uh, Emperor Palpatine and Bill Breeze will be Vader, like doing the bidding of his master, you know, trying to own Thelema. And I put myself in the back with a hole in my chest, like they explained me, which was prophetic. And, um, and uh, Hymenius Beta is, is his name as the head of OTO. So I called him Darth Beta. And then Obsissimus is the top grade of the AA that only one person can hold. So he became Emperor Obsissimus. And, uh, and I knew that they would be a little butthurt. But I also thought, like, you know, I still was holding on to these ideas that, like, those guys have to be, like, enlightened somehow, you know, to in order to be in those places you know even though i was like really confronting a lot of fuckery and a lot of other there's a lot more going on in the background locally and stuff i had dated some crazy chick and i had like clouds over my head with that and stuff so that's why you know when they uh when they came after me it's it's like they used this kid this 24 year old kid who had like taken under my wing for the past four years i've been like taking this kid around all over the country to show him like because he come up in a place where it was like all these gunther zealots and they're like no delima has to be like this and i'm like dude you have to see these other places it's not like that everywhere and they and they hated it so they went to them and and I, they must have gone this, this kid was like a cool ass kid who was like doing all this work and nobody took him seriously he had like dreadlocks and he looked like wookish and shit but like you know he was like you know he really just wanted to be like listen like he wanted to sit at the table you know and so i was like the first old guy who was like i dig you let's party you know and we were up we we're up at my place like eating acid and summoning demons and you know like he's bringing all of his friends from new mexico up and they fucking hated it so they went to him they must have like promised him some advancement i mean it could have been a lot of things and and i get i get it and all of a sudden he's like oh chris tried to make me have sex with him and you know they started calling everyone and no one that had ever visited me or dated me and they're like what did chris do what, what about this? you know they're like trying to sell this thing and um they painted me as a threat to women in order and that's like i guess a popular thing and and i hate to i'm not on that bandwagon because i don't want to fucking take away from the truth of actual abuse that's out there you know so it really pisses me off that you know, I have to even play this fucking card of like, oh, I'm another fucking guy that was accused of shit I didn't do. And that just makes it fucking worse to me because I'm not the, I'm not the one, <laughs> you know, I'm not the one lying to my friends and, you know, playing some fucking game. Like I've worked too hard to be to have it on the table, you know, anyway, it's so all that fuckery blew up and. You know, there's a lot of cool shit going on throughout through that whole story and a lot of fucking, you know, it's like me just slowly peeling back this layer of seeing like what is really motivating these upper degree people who are running this shit. And you slowly realize they're not these enlightened 
you, you, there, there's some cool fucking fo- there are some cool folks up there but there's a lot of fucking nepotism you know when you talk about um the western hemisphere you're talking about seventh degree and above like the hermit triad of people supposedly doing all this sanctuary that knows the sex magic stuff you're talking there's 42 people in there right now you know this is like 150 year old organization you know international you know there's probably about 2,000 active members worldwide you know and and it hovers at that but they do the scientology thing so they'll their numbers are like four or five thousand because they don't take you off when you're not active anymore like um so get you know gotcha. so th- yeah their numbers are always about half when you look at who's active because we bring they bring a lot of people in it's really cool at first and the initiations are fucking cool you know there there's a lot of cool stuff there and it's fun and when it's just you and your friends like doing this shit and exploring the mysteries and having fun it's great but in denver it's like i watched all these upper degree people move here and it's like they tested all of us they're like who's gonna suck our dicks and i was like you need to say something cool at least first fuck tickle me i don't know it's <laughs> like um you know they were like oh and then you know they got the other the, the guys who were like oh yes please you know they they had them stab the rest of us in the back they all got invited to the fifth degree and now when you go to their shit it's like this boring church culture every you know everyone there is just like trying to impress two people what's the right fucking, you know what's the point that's fascinating. I, I could listen to that all day. Um, I could literally go all day. Because I'm not in on that history, so it's just really, it's a really interesting peek into things. Well, it's, I, the analogy I use now is it's like, uh, it's like when Pinocchio became a real boy. I like it. Um, and so, you know, the, the book is, 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 is about explaining these subtleties of why it was worth it, why I took so much abuse over the years. I mean, I have my ribs broken by people. I've probably been ripped off for $25,000 through the years of thalamites trying to help people and donate. And, you know, um, so why, you know, why did I even continue? Why did it take so long? And, it, you know, um, really the way that they turned people that i really loved against me so easily that's what hurt and it took a few years of just like fuck everyone's fake nothing has meaning anymore yeah, so can you, you know, go like, into those like can you go into those few years because that's kind of what i want to hear about is you after in the aftermath of all of this yeah so it was the aa ultimately that was real and it's so funny because when i got started getting i was dated this chick and she had border personality disorder and she was the head of oto in denver when i first moved here and she had beat up five other guys before me and after about three or four months of dating it started happening she would just attack me and i've never been in a i've never been in a physical relationship with anyone in my life like my mom never spanked me you know what i mean so that was like a weird head fuck. And of course, I just left I just left a 17-year marriage to like chase this priestess fantasy and have, you know, my thalamic partner and all this. And, you know, and this chick was beating the fuck out of me, man. Like um she broke two of my ribs in our bishop's house. Um and eventually after a year and a half of this kind of fuckery going on, you know, of course you t- you tell people your girlfriend's beating you up, and it's like, yeah, that's weird. And nobody, nobody, it's different. Nobody cared, you know. Yeah, like, there's oh, a double maybe, standard. Maybe you should there, break sure. up. Um, and about a year and a half into it, man, she like attacked me one night. We were all tripping on mushrooms, and we fell down, and she smacked her head. And then, like a few days later, she told everyone. Then I forced my way in her house and like threw her down, and and so that put like this weird cloud over my head. Um, even though she's got a seven. In fact, 
she has a 17 year arrest record here of like beating up her boyfriends that like everyone ignored like a year before they made her the body master she had been arrested for felony assault against another oto member and so the people responsible for putting her in power ignored all of this willfully and so they played a huge role also in trying to shut me the fuck up because i would never stop talking about this stuff afterwards so i'm like i've been in the oto longer than all of you guys even though, because I went to, you know, I went to college and sat in the same degree for fucking 15 years instead of like working on OTO and progressing. So by the time I got over here, it's like these people are like, who's this guy? And it's like, well, anyway, I was like, I'm not the one, you know, all the guys she beat up before just went away because why would they fucking stay around just like this group of drama and shit? But it was like, you know, I'd already devoted my life to this stuff. Um, so when all that drama broke out, that's really when I started to pursue the AA because I realized like, man, the OTO, no matter what I do, I'm always going to be beholden to the opinions of these other people who, you know, granted, there's probably plenty of good um, examples of actual abuse and people are, you know, being blocked for good reason. But there's also a huge avenue for somebody that's way above my degree to say whatever. And nobody's going to ask them even any questions, you know, and so I needed something that I was in control of and that was more thelemic in my mind and so that's what brought me to the aa and so i've been in a couple different aa lines at this point and so there's you know that's a whole book but um you know it was my aa brothers and sisters who who really you know supported me through through you know lose, the because even when so for all these years up leading up to all the blow up you know I, I was focusing on the aa and so that's really where the deep like real spiritual inner work is happening because it's required, you know, you do the work, you move on, you know, it's not like, Oh, we like you and you didn't rape anyone yet. You can do the next thing. <laughs> right. Is like, uh, so, uh, and so I, you know, I'd, I'd already switched to Grady line. And in fact, it was a, it was a progression in AA. I think that played a big role in the blow up because the OTO was my public expression of the Lima and the AA was sort of my inner expression. I didn't, you know, I've never posted much about that side. And so, it was it was moving it was a certain progression in the aa that was like you know i was carrying all this drama the oto was like sucking all my time and energy it was like this huge distraction from everything and so it just put me in a situation where i couldn't tell myself any more stories about oh yeah that sucked but you know it's like you you have all these ways of making excuses for people and things and i and i just when they turned on my fucking these people that i loved that i would have done anything for it's like they made they came at them with a completely made up fucking story like nobody asked any questions they're like okay chris is bad now and i just like i i couldn't fucking lie to myself about what the fuck that meant for the group and everything else and so um getting booted was terribly painful but it was a part of a huge uh initiatory transformation um i'm no longer behold you know i could say what i want like for years if i talked about getting my ribs broke in my bishop's house i'd get a fucking message chris you have to go delete this comment or we're going to put you on bad report and the oto you know and it's like here's this motherfucker with about as much real world authority as a goddamn shift manager at the fucking local Taco Bell, like threatening me over what I can say on fucking Facebook. I'm a goddamn thelemite. I have a fucking PhD. You know what I mean? All you are is a fucking redneck wino. Like how, how, how does anyone fucking sit with this? You know? And so, you know, it, it just had to come to that head for me to be like, well, yep, I can't fucking lie about it anymore. So you got involved with the Akephalist movement. Do you want to talk a little bit about, uh, and maybe go back a little bit. Does that lead from into that yes. story? Good. Like, is that uh, yeah. <laughs> good? Does that it's lead coming. into that? Well, <laughs> yeah. So, so, so what happened so about a, so about, about a year after 
getting booted from the OTO, uh, these two young kids um, from Sacramento. So m- a lot of my AA group, like my my mentor and the head of our line is in Sacramento. And this is the Grady McMurtry lineage, which is a branch off of Jerry Cornelius's work. And uh, so anyhow, uh, uh, this uh, wonderful lady named Heather Schubert uh, had two students moving out here and her and I share a mentor. And um, so it's this interesting web. In fact, it's funny because the OTO wouldn't even tell me what I was being accused of. They started calling my AA students and tell and like telling them I did all this shit. So I, I didn't even know what was being said about me until my AA students would like call me right away and be like, Oh my God, this is what they're saying. You know? So it's a weird sort of web because that stuff's not public. Nobody knows those relations. So it's like, you never know if you're talking to an AA person or, you know, how they're associated, what their lineage, who their students and stuff are. So, um, so, you know, they, these two get people moved to Denver and they just showed up at my door with sort of all this exuberance of, you know, let's just start doing some shit, whatever. It's my birthday next month. Like, let's just do mass. So we started doing these Gnostic masses. Um, and about the third month, so I had an AA student in Colorado Springs who met this, uh, these Bhakti Thelemic, like Sacramentalists in the Greenfield, um, lineage uh and and alan greenfield was my first bishop in the egc way back in the raw harakne days in um, jacksonville florida so that was like a funny weird you know full circle thing um at that time i had an also another aa student in baltimore who had received um uh, a charter to operate all the oto degrees uh lodge degrees through the seventh through this united rights of the oto in europe and so it's like right at the same time like without i wasn't you know, at this point, I'm burnt out. I'm like, all these people are fake. These kids are like super into it. So I'm like trying to be like, okay, let's let's see what happens. And all of a sudden, like, you know, just a couple months of momentum of doing mass with these kids. And uh, uh, Bob McDonald shows up and consecrates us all bishops, which gives us a huge amount of ecclesiastical authority to create different structures and so forth. And at the same time, I also get a charter to operate like all the OTO degrees. And so it's like all of this stuff that was sort of being held against me through the OTO just to open up with, with after I was fucking like, fuck all this shit, you know? Um, and yeah, so that's interesting to me how that works, right? It's like you, at the moment you let go, mm-hmm. it all comes back. Yeah. It becomes available in a way that you didn't like ever maybe even expect well and i think well all of this stuff you know it always shows up in the most unexpected ways i think that's how people ruin their magic the most it's because you know you want this cool thing and i'm the worst you know i'm like a brat i'm like oh this was supposed to be more fun though you know but yeah you know we're just grounding shit out and and being in the way all the time yeah getting in my own i get in my own way plenty well, it's, even with the subconscious, you know, it's like take money magic, you know, like for someone like me who comes from this like anarchist sort of background, it's like, oh, money's evil. Well, money magic's never going to work if you have this deep seated unconscious belief that money's evil because your subconscious is is insulating all that. You know what I mean? And so you have to. Yeah, it's blocking you. Yeah, you have to find a way to tell. I mean, money can still be as, as bad and all the problems it is, and it, but it can still be this tool, you know. So it's like you just change the language a little bit, and tell a different story about a thing, and you can open stuff up right away. Yeah, I like that's a very chaos magic approach too. I like it. Um, well, that's because chaos magic is sort of like a meta theory of how all the not chaos magic works anyway. <laughs> right. Yeah. Fair enough. 
So, um, so you're a wandering bishop, as you just mentioned. Cal, yes. So I took the name Cal Halaj after the um, Sufi martyr Mansur El Halaj. Very cool. And can you talk? You mentioned in our phone conversation, and this is just a, this is an area of endless fascination to me. But mm-hmm. you had mentioned that 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 tradition can be traced back to the Cathars. Can you go into that a little bit? Yeah, certainly. Um, so the uh, so the Cathars were uh, so by. Let's see. God, oh man, I didn't. I haven't looked at the dates in a minute. I'm thinking like twelve, like twelve fifty or something yeah, like that. Something it was like around that. that the Abigdinian. Yeah. So you know, right after the Fifth Crusade, uh, the Catholics decided that well, we're not being successful in the Holy Lands because we have all these you know uh, heretics here in Europe. You know, and so uh, the Cathars were a huge group that rivaled Catholicism, especially in southern France, particularly in southern France. And uh, and so that uh, Abigensian cr- crusade sort of uh, and that's what, you know, Metallica, kill them all, you know, kill them all. God, you know, let God sort them out. That's the, one of the generals leading that march into the Languedocs of the southern communities of the Cathars. You know, the, one of the soldiers said, how, how do we know who the heretics are? <laughs> You know, and the, the French general said, uh, kill, kill them all. God will know his people. And so, you know, they murdered women, children, men, you know, whole fucking populations of these Cathars, these Gnostic uh, Christians who were, you know, very ascetic, vegetarian. Uh, there was a certain vow that some some men took where they cut off their dicks and stuff. So the celibacy yeah, the was. Yeah, exactly. Um and uh, and so it's like a very uh, much more ascetic, a scene like even one one could probably argue um, a version of Christianity. But you know they didn't take the Bi- they didn't take the canonical Bible uh, and certainly the papacy's uh, authority with, with any seriousness. And so it was probably a lot more politics involved than any sort of with with everything with major religion, especially when you're, there's wars involved. You know, there's politics, resources, most but mostly you know back you know resources have always been humans you know controlling humans yeah the cathars were also and, very very rich in in lands and and mm-hmm. uh, exactly. treasure yeah right so well it, and, it comes back to that a lot right well in the templars you know there's there's you know a lot of uh, um supposed connections there and of course you know the the oto is the order of the the um Order of the Oriental Templars, the Order of the East, Order of the Eastern Templars. So it's the it's, it's a Templar order um, fundamentally as well. Um, so that current is there um, because and and they did they protected the Jews, they protected a lot of um, you know the uh, uh, what's the word the minority religious groups of the time. So it wasn't like just one group. It was a regular thing that they did like during throughout the Inquisition, because that was really the beginning of the Inquisition. Because then after that, they're like, oh, now the Jews, of course. Right. And there's witches probably here somewhere. But um, so. So all of a sudden, though, you had these Cathar priests and bishops who no longer had a diocese, their whole entire congregation had been murdered. And so that's began the tradition of the the um vagabond episcopos the wandering bishop um and so that became very much very quickly and uh incorporated into well 
I'm getting ahead of myself. So about mid 19th century, so about 500 years later, 600 years later, anyway, um, you had a guy named Doinel, okay, and and he and he's a Southern French uh, uh, minister, and he ends up channeling um, a bunch of these old Cathar uh, bishops and church fathers. And so he's the guy who's basically responsible for the whole Gnostic revival. And that would be very big, that would become big in like various Masonic circles, um, Martinism, um, and, and, and then of course OTO. So the OTO has a whole ecclesiastical side called the Ecclesia Gnostico Catholica or the EGC. And so Libra 15, the Gnostic Mass, is the Mass that Crowley wrote encapsulating the ninth degree secret, which gives people who are initiates a way to work with it that's the whole point of that mass um was the the primary public ritual for the egc of course it, it was never celebrated crowley never really saw it ever put on um it was first celebrated by wilford smith and these guys in la and now it's like the big public thing that oto uses to like you know they're like "Ooh, do you like that you want to join our group um kind of thing so that's so for the past year and a half i've been do, um i've been doing these masses every month publicly um with these kids um with no group no you know it's we're not like using it to sell you on something just like doing it and exploring these mysteries and it's attracted you know we've got like 20 people you know coming every third sunday and we have a little party afterwards and it's like this cool community that we we're never even trying to really develop but it's like there's no, you know, there's no group, there's nobody who owns it or controls it. So, you know, that's where the Akephalos things comes in. You know, I found, um, you know, there's a lot about the bornless ritual and the headless rite and ceremonial magic. And Crowley incorporates this in a major way um, with uh, Libra Samak and some of the Holy Guardian Angel workings. Um, and also the, at least the symbology of it is uh, in uh, the introductory chapter of Liber Seven, the prologue of the unborn. But it's if you if we go back to the fifth century Alexandria, the the, the word akephalos was first used in an ecclesiastical sense to refer to an entire group of Alexandrian bishops who had sort of seceded from the authority of of the papacy of Rome, um, and so. Uh, also, a lot of people don't know. Like during this period, Rome was like a get. It was like it was like the bad part of town, you know, it was like the ghettos, like right after a war. Um, and so they were like, fuck the Pope. This guy's crazy. We're not going to do it. And so they were called the Akephalos of Alexandria. It was just these group of bishops who, who refused to answer to any higher authority than themselves. Um, and they saw their task as making the sacraments available. Um, now, um, you know, I, I, I'm sort of, working on an essay of ecclesiastical rights right now and i'm sort of working out you know the the cliff the 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 because really i'm an apostate of the egc you know I'm a, I'm a priest of the egc i've been kicked out i'm an, i'm now an apostate but now i've been raised into a wandering bishop and i'm i'm a headless bishop with a thelemic dispensation so i'm no longer you know dispensing the christian well i mean i would argue that i'm dispensing christian mysteries but under a new you know we're no longer scared of our dicks and right. you know if you think about it you know uh, you know one thing you learn with the central secret of oto is you know where these you know sex is part of our expressions as these solar 
divine creative beings, right? Um, we're, we're, we're creators, you know? And so that sexual expression is, is a way of direct interaction with that, especially under training, you know, in a yogic sense. Right. But you think about it, you know, for 2000 years, the Christians robbed us of that expression by making us all fear it be to you know feel bad about it you know it's like you jerk off and you're like oh is anyone looking you know whatever you know it's like we're crawling out of 2000 years the whole fucking world's scared of their dicks man and it's like you know that's why we're killing each other <laughs> you know because we don't know the power we have right here you know to, to to commune with the spirits to you know explore these mysteries of existence and shit you know it's all within us yeah and, and we have and that you, power like and yeah. the only thing that's going to help able to take that power away from me is being convinced under the lie that I'm not connected to it. Right. Exactly. And, then, and you, so doing, I then become disconnected from it because I am a co-creator of reality. Right. Yeah. You have to give it up. That's the only way. And you have to be scammed into giving it up. And it's usually guilt and fear, you know, because you know, it's really, it's the fear of death, you know, and that's why like these Masonic death rites, the third degree, especially the third degree of OTO, like I saw it as the ultimate revolution because, you know, freedom, true, real freedom to quote Nina Simone, freedom is no fear. And, you know, the ultimate, all of our fears are rooted in the fear of death, the fear of future loss, the fear of the unknown. And when you have for example, I could teach somebody one pranayama trick if they really had the discipline to do it for, say, three weeks. They would be outside of their body at some point. They would have an experience of the part of themselves that's forever. And it's that kind of experience that that sort of relinquishes the hold of those chains of fear so around death because you realize, you see for yourself, you have an experience of yourself beyond that. You know yeah. what I mean? Absolutely. Uh, Gordon White calls it becoming invincible. I think yeah. um, for me, that happened through addiction. And I, I died as a result of an overdose and had a near-death experience. And Yes, that'll do it. Yeah, that'll do it, right? And then, you know, and the other, and, and the, the other AA, which is the one that I'm uh, involved in, they talk about how, you know, in order to... to reconnect with this power that allows me to be the person that I was meant to be, I have to have a spiritual experience. Right. And I think it actually came from uh, a conversation that um, Bill Wilson had with Carl Jung over letters. I love that. And, and so I, you know, I, I, I bounced around this. It's in the book, of course, but I shot heroin and dilated all through grad school the whole time. You know, it's not a terrible story because, you know, I was super functional. I got straight A's and shit. I got a book of PhD. And that's why I moved to Colorado because I, you know, it was my ex-wife's family who were, you know, showing up and fucking, you know, keeping that, you know, you're in a house full of junkies. It's like vampires. You're all like swarming and shit. Absolutely. Uh, and so that's, that's you know, so much what it's like. Yeah. I had, I had to put five states between us, you know. And ultimately, it's part of why I ended up getting divorced and stuff. But, you know, I, I have a, a lot to say if it's because I have that story and I'm so open about it because and the OTO, of course, used that stuff. They're like, oh, he's a drug addict because, you know, I'm so open about this. But, you know, since I've been in Colorado, you know, I've been clean 12 years and I've helped I've helped so many people get clean. 
And one thing I realized is, you know, all of our ideas of addiction are based on really bad science. And um, the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. And yes. you have yes. to yes. you have to build the kind of life that you want to be present for. You know, you and and when that's true, you can party. Now, you know, some people should never have a drop of alcohol or a drop of, you know, and I, and I probably shouldn't have a drop of heroin. And I, sure. and I'm not saying necessarily that, but you yeah. know, I'm not scared to party a little bit, you know. And I'm like, you know, I, I well, eat ass with my I, friends I can and go, shit. But it's like, I can go anywhere without fear, but that's not very common within, in my experience, within the recovery community because there's still a lot of fear associated with that. So there's this. There's this other current, which is, I would say is a prevailing current of like, I'm going to be afraid of my addiction from now on. I'm going to be afraid of these things from now on. And mm -hmm. I'm going to sit here in this room and, and avoid that stuff. And I'm certainly not running towards it, but I'm certainly not afraid of it either. Well, and because, you know, but the fear begets control and right. you're in a situation where, where you, you, you don't really have control you know, and, it, and so the solution is actually like love and surrender, right? Yeah. Sur, you know, sur surrendering to that truth. Uh, uh, and, and, you know, you know, there, there are relevant criticisms. I, I have a brother, uh, a Olympic brother here, AA, OTO and everything and um, recovering alcohol. I've seen him off. Like I've never realized real bad, yeah. but he's super involved with AA both AAs, um, and you know, it has all sorts of interesting spiritual interpretations. In fact, you he might be a fun guest, you know. On, I would on a love, like yeah, that. I would love to talk because that's that I want to. I'm planning on doing some episodes about that coming up, yeah. Well, he struggled with the way it's presented through that Christian lens, uh, ultimately. Well, and, and, is, and that's what, and it's also this idea of like you know, giving up your will and surrendering your will. But I would argue that I only have to do that, and this may be like in a way, sort of an inner mystery of AA, honestly. But yeah, I surrender my will because my will, I had a disease of the will. Right. But once I'm able to surrender that, I actually gain the ability to use my will properly. Yeah. And so in the, one of the OTO initiations, that's called the first paradox of philosophy, is really? that you have to submit... Um, you have to willingly submit to the discipline in order to make progress. Yeah. That, that makes sense. Rings true, right? You know, it's like, you're, it's like, what would your arm do without the muscles in it? It would just be limp. <laughs> right. Um, and so, uh, but you know, when it comes to higher power and God, like these are loaded terms and, you know, people have been traumatized by a lot of this stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and even those that don't realize they're trauma, even the people that are into it are traumatized, you know, might not realize it, you know, but it's like people carry so much baggage about what that has to be and how that has to look. And, um, and, and the AA could do more to articulate that, not, not to necessarily fill in the blank, but to provide people with more directions, you know, to explore. And you could probably accomplish that in local face-to-face -face meetings and stuff, just talking to people. But well, there's some know, legitimate there's criticisms a, there, I there's think. There's always legitimate criticisms, and there's always legitimate True. criticisms of any, any tradition right. that, like... If you want to move it forward... <laughs> exactly and and so there's also like a big current of like this book isn't divinely inspired and this is it yeah right right and it's like man i'm i'm not really like i'm here because this is the place where i'm able to hook up with other addicts that i'm that my experience might be able to help 
You know what I mean? So I do. It, it's well, not um, about like I'm going here to get the divine inspiration from this book that was written in 1943 or whatever. It's right. I'm here because this is where the current is because mm-hmm. this is what totally. we got. And yeah, that might no. not be ideal, right? No, but it's I mean, but it's it's uh, it's, it's impactful. Yeah. I mean, it's I mean, it's unquestionably impactful. <laughs> yeah. And it, um, it's interesting to me, too, because there it does have sort of like a. um an apostolic succession kind of flavor to mm-hmm. it too. I've seen that. Um, yeah, you know, like my like the guy that he doesn't even like to be called a sponsor, but the guy that I do the work with, who uh, you can go back to who did the work with him and who did the work with him and who did mm-hmm. the work with him to the to yeah. the very um, beginning. So there, there's that's cool to me. I like that idea. Um, I I like it too. I'm a history buff, so those lin- you know, like my AA lineage. I could go on and on with all that. Lineages kind of stuff. are cool. Yeah, it's it's a cool story, man. So I'm gonna. But when they bring up the big religious stuff, you know what I always tell them? I'm a Gnostic. I'm from yeah. the Show Me religion. Yeah. And I'm <laughs> like, a, you know, and don't I'm tell the same me how way. great your book is. Show me. <laughs> right. And I think that anyone that's really doing it is doing that. Yeah. And then if you're not, you're like you said, True. you're just if you're not, you're fucking larping. Well, and, and right. you know, and Salima, there's this concept of aeonic succession that we're right now moving into. You know, you can think of it like the astrological ages are shifting right now. We're moving into this age of Aquarius, and the the, the messianic image is different, right? Jesus was a predator. Jesus was a fisherman. Jesus cast his net and pulled up whatever the fuck he caught. He didn't ask for consent. For, he didn't, you know, he didn't ask anybody. He just you know, it's like saving you, you know, and, 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 and so people are stuck and, you know, people are waiting for somebody to come save them, you know, because like there's a complex now. And so the shift in the new eon and, and the, the Thelemic Messiah, so to speak, is, is a gardener, you know, they're tending their garden. They're that exemplar, you know, they're, they're being that window to the world. They're the show means. Yeah. I like that. Maybe taking that as a segue. And this is definitely a loaded question. But how do you feel that spirits are involved in the evolution of consciousness? If you talk about wanting to evolve, you know, these these institutions that we create, mm-hmm. that's also happening to our consciousness as well, right? And how how do you say the spirits are involved with that? Well, I mean, I just I, I it's we have a record for one of thousands of years of I mean, you know, uh, let's let's just be clear first on the word spirit. You know, let's take this very loosely. You know, we know we have a record of thousands of years of these strange entities showing up in different various capacities with teachings and instructions. And if you if you put the sort of um, the dogmatic and bureaucratic political side so to speak, of religion, what, what, what we might call the exoteric, you know, and you look at those esoteric parts and the roots of how all this stuff started, it, it's a very often a set of techniques that could be loosely called a type, types of meditation for the evolution of consciousness. You know, those techniques might have been prayers, invocations, you know, oracles, um, all, all of which are, are, were ways our ways of of evolving our our consciousness but in every case i call this the god scam you know this bureaucracy came in and they put a cap on it and they tried to own it and they tried to dispense it in a certain way and that's what orthodoxy is 
you know, and that's my enemy. You know, I'm the forever apostate pirate wizard, a Kefalos, wandering bishop. You know, I'd rather be a vagabond than a slave. Hell yeah. But the spirits, we have a record, first of all, you know, second and, and, but secondly, and most importantly, is if you ever read, you know, I can remember being a little kid, you know, being in like going, like staying with my uncle, uh, my cousin or something, going to Sunday school. Right. And I would raise my hand and I would ask these adults, I would say, you know, you just told us a story about all these people, this guy, you know, he's talking to God and having these experiences. Like, why don't you do that? Um. Have you ever been taken on some fucking up the ladder? Have you seen an angel? What do they look like? You know, that was me at like seven years old. And so now I can safely say that I've discovered and determined techniques that I can teach scientifically, objectively anyway, repeatable uh, results for people to have their own interactions with these spirits. You know, and so when when you start to begin when you have the power to experiences for yourself uh i mean then the books and what everyone else says matters even fucking less you know what i mean you're really you're talking to the source so the you know what are these things are they transdimensional beings are they you know astral entities you know when it comes to you know trying to explain sort of their objectiveness uh, it's sporting and fun and cool, you know, to have all these different ideas about how all this stuff might work, but it's difficult to verify, but we can have these experiences, we can have these communications, and we can have these interactions, and you don't have to de- rely on some 3,000-year-old record of it, because the truth is, we're finally, you know, we've been scared of these guys most of the time, you know, and it's like, now it's the new eon, dude, like, they're dying to hang out and fucking chat and tell you what's up and shit, and, you know, for f- the past thousand years in the grimoire tradition everyone was like oh, i'm not worthy you know it's like they had to like not eat for three days and wash their feet right and stuff but it's like this, that was all for us that wasn't for the spirits <laughs> you know they're ready they're here they're you know so you know i would say make your own record and, and depend less on 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 what other people's records show you know the spirits give you almost what you need it's, it's dependent on what type of spirit set you know nokian goetia angels demons yada 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 and and there's i have a lot to say about those dichotomies because people carry a lot of moral baggage that christian sort of moral um taxonomy of spirits is such bullshit it's it really is a a a huge wall for people starting out um but uh uh because frankly i mean uh, the spirits don't care about morality they don't even fucking know what you're talking about that's another thing do yourself like go bring moral questions to some of these spirits and you just get these weird riddles they don't even know what you're talking about because i mean socrates showed 2000 years ago it's recorded in the dialogue of euthyphro uh that you know morality has nothing to do with god you know morality is human shit so it has to do with this illusion of time up every day and like oh fuck did i what should I be doing? You know, like that's where morality comes from. You know, the spirits are, they don't live under that same sort of experience of linear time. So those moral questions are like riddles to them. And it's a very interesting thing to test. And so anyway, that moral fucking taxonomy of like the, the dark spirits and, the, you know, angels will fucking step on you just as quick. Of, <laughs> they don't care. <laughs> you know, it's like a gear or a mechanism in the universe. They'll roll right over you and not think twice. That's a really good point. And but you know, I talk really, to the I really spirits. enjoy the 
I really enjoy the the idea that morality is time based. That's one to sit with. It was one of the Enochian kings who taught me that. I was being taught Enochian with a group here in Denver ten years ago, and I had, I was doing some Golden Dawn initiations that had to do with the elements. And I was like, "Let's go to all the Watchtower kings," and they were like, "Oh, you know, nobody really talks to the kings." And I was like, "Fuck that! We're Thelemites. I'll be the magician. I'll talk to them." And we went to all the kings and I interrogated them. It's cool. And lots of cool stuff came out of that. But one of them put a fucking gold coin into my heart and exp- and basically explained that you know their living in an eternal space made these questions i was asking not make sense it was like two weeks later that i connected that to the dialogue of euthyphro and socrates and i was like that's exactly what socrates showed fucking two thousand years ago the spirit explained it and it never dawned on me that it was this notion of time but it was actually the fucking king of the goddamn uh, earth tablet that like explained the, na- the nature of time and how it related to our like weird ideas about morality and what's the right thing to do with our lives and stuff <laughs> Very cool. So talk to the spirits, man. They will, you know, it's like they'll, they'll, they'll you know, give you all these puzzles, you know, and it'll be like weeks later, you'll be like, holy shit, that's what they were talking about. What the fuck? Yeah. And like images Geeky bastards. unfold. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, definitely. You know, that. but it's like, it's difficult to say, you know, what they, I mean, with the Enochian spirits. So I have a like hour long talk I did in Sacramento that's on a video channel on these because uh, we did through that king adventure we ended up discovering all these uh the demons within this angelic structure and they defined demon to me in a secret servant and so they had this whole completely different relationship it's almost like you know if you think of the nokian watchtowers and those angelic spirits like each square composing like a brick of a castle you know these demons are like the mortar that glues it and binds it all together so it's like it's like it's almost like you don't have one without the other but it's not like a dark it's not like a dualistic thing like that yeah absolutely that that definitely tracks that's cool man so i could do like a whole nother session on just that definitely very fun talking to you great stuff dude right on awesome man um so real quick do you want to tell people um where they can find you any websites or anything like that? Um, I just have no, I mean, I, I have Chris Harden as my YouTube channel. I just mostly, I'll put some polemic stuff. Like I'll have people read the holy books up on the top of the mountains around here. And then I you know, put out all these jam videos. It's kind of my weird on top of the world spell thing that I do in the morning. So um, you, it's just Chris Harden on YouTube. Um, and then uh you know, on Facebooks and stuff. I don't, I don't, I've, I haven't really been promoting myself in any official capacity. Um, I, I, the only book I've ever put out so far has been on um, the, uh, a parallel and in time integration technique for differential equations. <laughs> so um, uh, this will be, I have like a few things like on the burner right now. I have this cool coffee table book with all the art and then the OTO story. And uh, and then my adept thesis will be coming out of Thelema, the rise of the Akevalos. Awesome, Chris. Well, it was great to have you on. Uh, I'm really excited to see what you're coming up with in the future, man. And it was great talking to you. Right on, brother. Appreciate you. Hey, appreciate you. Have a great rest of the evening. Cheers. Cheers. Well, there's no doubt in my mind that Chris is living his true will. 
and it makes me glad to know that he is up there in the mountains dancing his dance here at the turning of the age. I really vibe with his message. There's no one that can tell me what I came here to do. That's for me to figure out and for me to live out. And the connection to power is direct, not achieved through hierarchies, available to all who would seek it. The kingdom of heaven is within you, which might be a scary thought because it means that I am fully and completely responsible for what that looks like, for what that means. But every plunge, every leap, and every great voyage is preceded by fear. It's like the ultimate gatekeeper. And I don't know about you, but I'm not going to tarry outside the gate waiting for someone to let me in. I'm storming that bastard. So until next time, thanks for listening. I gotta fly.